to preach God's word to you on the biblical teaching of repentance and conversion. And in connection that we read various pieces of scripture. First from Matthew 3, verses 1 to 12. Matthew 3, verse 1 to 12, and, and the sermon will focus mainly on the verses 2 and 8 to 10. So Matthew 3, verse 1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea, and all the district around the Jordan, And they were being baptised by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you, that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. As for me, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to remove his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And let's continue the reading of scripture from at, at Colossians 3. Colossians 3, the verses 1 to 17 and, and the sermon will focus mainly on the verses 8 to 14. So we'll read Colossians 3 from verse 1 to 17. And they'll read the word of God. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. 
and in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to the true knowledge to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him a renewal in which there is no distinction between greek and jew circumcised and uncircumcised barbarian scythian slave and freeman but christ is all and in all so as those who have been chosen of god holy and beloved Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. In his doctrine, seeing this doctrine on repentance and conversion, it's also been summarized in our confession, the Heidelberg Catechism. Let's now turn to the Heidelberg Catechism. Lord's Day 33, that's page 45 at the back of the Psalter Hymnal. Page 45, it's Lord's Day 33, and there we have four questions and answers. What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? Two things, the dying away of the old self and the coming to life of the new. What is the dying away of the old self? It is to be genuinely sorry for sin, to hate it, more and more and to run away from it what is the coming to life of the new self it is wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a delight to do every kind of good as God wants us to what do we do that is good only that which arises out of true faith conforms to God's law and is done for his glory and not that which is based on what we think is right or on established human tradition. Shall we pray for the preaching? Gracious God and Father, we thank you 
that you have gathered us around your word so that we could read it together and we can listen to it as it's being explained and proclaimed. Help us to believe it and to live by it. Inscribe your word in our hearts so that it may guide us in everyday life. Make us hungry for your word since it shows the way to true happiness and life with you. Enlighten your servant to understand your word. Open their mouths to proclaim it in such a way that there is peace and joy in the church. Bless us now as we listen to your word being proclaimed. Focus our thoughts on it and shape our lives according to it. Do all this by the power of your spirit. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we considered the necessity of good works. Here the entry to the kingdom of God is at stake. Without good works, no one will inherit the kingdom. Does this then mean that good works do, after all, save us? Certainly not. Only Christ saves us. Yet good works are part of Christ's work of redemption. They show that we are saved. They show that our faith is living. That we truly belong to Jesus Christ. Anyone who does not turn to God from his ungrateful and impenitent ways will not be saved. Thus, repentance is indispensable. It's therefore of vital importance to know what repentance is all about. There is nothing that I should fear more than a fake repentance. With such a fake repentance, I may confess Christ, but I do not belong to Christ. That's what we should preach to you. God's word under the theme, the true repentance or conversion of man. It's the true repentance or conversion of man. And we consider three points. Firstly, it's an obligation and a gift. Secondly, it's a laying aside and putting on a grieving and rejoicing. And thirdly, it is known by its fruits. First, it's an obligation and a gift. To his disciples, the Lord Jesus says, Truly I say to you, unless you change or are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 18 verse 3. The simplicity of faith, the trustfulness and dependence that characterizes little children is vital. We adults like to assert ourselves. 
to rely on own strength and wisdom. But the attitude, a self-willed attitude, is unacceptable in God's kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Familiar words for us. This call comes to us again and again from the gospel. It's first John the Baptist who calls out like this. He must prepare the people to welcome the Messiah, Jesus. Later, Jesus takes over that call from his forerunner. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. But beloved, if the kingdom is at hand, is near, then everything is in order, is it not? Then a big feast can begin. Right? Not necessarily. God's royal dominion is not automatically a blessing for everyone who belongs to God's covenant people. Meeting Jesus is not yet the same as believing in him. There's a big difference. Your encounter with Jesus needs to be accompanied by repentance. A repentance to which John and later Jesus himself calls his hearers. Through repentance or conversion, you learn to realise who Jesus is. And you learn to listen to what he says. Brothers and sisters, to what sort of people does John and later Jesus say this? Those people are no pagans. They're not people who have grown up without God. Or who don't want anything to do with God. They're citizens of God's chosen people. The people of Israel. Thus people who grew up in the covenant and got to know the Lord, their covenant God, from childhood. People who were, so to speak, close to the Lord. These people must repent. In fact, the prophets have been proclaiming this for centuries. The people had to return to God. And now it means turn around and believe in Jesus Christ, the Saviour. Return to the Lord, your God. I can understand that this call went out to the Jews of Jesus' days. They did not know the Lord Jesus yet. They have yet to come to know and accept him as their saviour. But our situation today is different, is it not? We grew up with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or got to know it later in life. We're not indifferent towards the Lord Jesus, are we? Do we still, we still need to hear the call to repentance? 
brother, sister, when you have grown up in the Christian church or have come to hear the gospel later in life, you are indeed not uninformed about the Lord Jesus. After all, you have acquired knowledge about him at home, in the church, at Bible study clubs, at catechism classes. You know all sorts of things about Christ. Knowledge that you carry in your head and hopefully also in your heart. Even so, you're not yet free from wrong things. Things that distract you from the Lord. Everything that is wrong and yet finds a feeding ground within you. There is a natural tendency to follow the evil within us so that we look in a different direction, live in the wrong direction. And that's why the call to repent is also very necessary for those who grow up in the church. You may be near. You come from less far away than the person who grew up in an ungodly environment. But the Holy Spirit must also pull you. Keep pulling you so that you don't drift far away again. He must neutralise the influence of evil on you, constantly free you from it. Brothers and sisters, it's striking that the Bible never presents conversion as something you just passively wait for, hoping that one day it'll happen. No, conversion involves repentance and faith. It involves repentance and faith. And both repentance and faith are pictured as our responsibility and obligation. The benefits of Christ belong to those who repent and believe. After the healing of the lame beggar at the temple, the Apostle Peter proclaims the gospel of Christ to the people gathered there. And based on that gospel, Peter then says, Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away. Act 3, verse 19. And here it's also interesting to note that the second verb, return, repent and return, is the verb used for conversion, an active imperative verb meaning turn or return as a command or request. In Acts 16 we read about the jailer at Philippi who trembled with fear before Paul and Silas and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
They answer him, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Acts 16 verse 31. Throughout scripture, the instruction to those who want to be saved is repent and believe. It's something we have to do. Yet, beloved, at the same time, it is a gift of God. We read in Acts that God granted repentance that leads to life. Chapter 11, verse 18. And that God opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. 14, verse 27. Brothers and sisters, you will never fully appreciate what a deep and awesome thing it is to be converted until you own up to the fact that it really is a miracle. It's a gift of God. Remember that we not only sin, but we also are sinful. By nature blind, hard of heart, unable to submit to God. And that's when we hear the gospel. We will never respond positively unless God performs that miracle of new birth. God first, to our shame, has to overcome our hard and rebellious hearts. Conversion does indeed include an act of will by which we repent and believe. We're responsible to do this. And we'll be condemned if we don't. But just as clearly the Bible teaches that owing to our hard heart, willful blindness, and spiritual insensitivity, we cannot do it. We don't want to do it by nature. We must first experience the regenerating work of the Spirit in us before we can truly want to serve the Lord. And therefore, brothers and sisters, when you do repent and believe, thank And praise God for his amazing grace, for the miracle of new birth. With Paul we can then say, Ephesians 2, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, It is a gift of God. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. And that leads us to the second point. True conversion is a laying aside and putting on a grieving and rejoicing.
Beloved, the word conversion indicates a radical change, a turnaround in your life. It's a turning from sin and unbelief to faith in God. People who chose for Satan turned their backs on God, make a U-turn and focus on God again. You choose an opposite direction in your life. You leave Satan's ways which lead to death to follow the way of the Lord which leads to life. In Ephesians 4, Paul writes that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which has been corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness. Ephesians 4, verse 22 to 24. And we read some, something similar in Colossians 3. You must not live in sin anymore. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of of the one who created him. Well, notice, beloved, that in Colossians 3, the past tense is used. Since we have have laid aside the old self and have put on the new self. Whereas in Ephesians 4, the imperative mood is used, indicating a request or command. The conversion is therefore mentioned as something that has already taken place and as something you still have to work on. And that's possible because conversion is a process. It is a process that has a beginning but also needs to continue as a reality every day of your life. And thus we speak of daily or ongoing repentance. The Catechism also emphasises the ongoing process of repentance. The true conversion consists of two parts, namely laying aside the old self and putting on the new self, or nature. It's like a garment you put on, put off or put on. The imagery is derived from the role clothes play in determining your status. You probably know the expression, fine feathers make fine birds, or the fine cloak makes the fine gentleman. Your clothes show what position or status you have in whose service you are. Think of the uniforms people wear to school or at work. The Greeks, for example, spoke of putting off the soldier 
when a soldier left the military service. The uniform, his uniform, and the soldier were so closely related that putting aside the uniform was described as putting aside the soldier. He's no longer soldier. And thus the image of clothes is used in Colossians 3 to indicate your position. Your clothes show who you are and to whom you belong. The old self, or literally old man, that I must lay aside points to myself as I am by nature. It's called old because it points to the original situation since the fall into sin. That's how I am by nature. Before conversion. An enemy of God. Focused on Satan and sin. And instead of that sinful old life, there is now that new nature. A life focused on God. A life out of the fullness of Christ. Characterised by the renewing power of Christ's spirit. I now belong to Christ. Through the spirit, I as believer have taken on a totally different way of life. My life has a different focus. Has a different character. Has a different principle. And a different purpose. My will has changed so that I no longer want to live in sin but to live for the Lord. Brothers and sisters, the conversion is clearly not just an outward behaviour. It's not sufficient that your deeds coincide with the letter of God's law. That as such is not yet a proof of true repentance. It's also not merely agreement with the truth of a doctrine. In that sense, the demons also believe and they shudder. James 2, verse 19. True conversion or repentance is far deeper, far more pervasive than that. The word used for repentance literally means to change one's mind. In Ephesians 4 verse 23, Paul speaks about being renewed in the spirit of your mind. You inwardly break with the past. You must first of all start thinking differently, desiring differently. And thus Paul writes in Colossians 3 verse 1 and 2, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Beloved, laying aside the old self, putting on the new self, implies that there is a heartfelt sorrow and hating of sin. With as reverse side, reverse side of the coin, a heartfelt joy in God and a love and delight 
to live according to the will of God. Yes, there must indeed be an outward, visible turning away from sin. But it must be a result of breaking with it inwardly, truly hating it. For God wants your heart. Conversion thus applies, implies a heartfelt sorrow because of my sin. The biblical word repentance also includes that idea of regret, feeling remorse over your sins. Well, do you truly experience that heartfelt sorrow? Don't confuse this sorrow with sorrow because of the consequences of your sin. With the latter, it's all about myself. The harm it has done to me. I feel really bad about it because of the damage it's done to me, to my reputation, to my status, or my financial position. Yet with the true sorrow because of sin, it's not about me, it's about God. The honour of God. How I offended him. Only when I have sorrow because I've offended God by my sin is there that sorrow which is part of true conversion. It's that sorrow that David had after his repentance. When he said against you, you only, I have sinned and done evil in your sight. Psalm 51 verse 4. With such sorrow, you in the language of the prophet Joel, rend your heart and not your garments. Joel 2 verse 13. In Psalm 51, David also indicates in which sacrifice God delights. Verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Great comfort for us as Christians. At the same time, there must also be that heartfelt joy in God through Christ. I grieve because of my sins. But I'm not left alone in my sins. God also comes to me with his comfort, with his gospel, with his son. He has revealed his love in sending his son to pay for those sins and make things right again. When you repent, you embrace that gospel of Christ, of redemption in him. Yes, you embrace Jesus Christ himself. And thus true repentance can be characterized by that twofold experience of grieving 
and yet always rejoicing, rejoicing in the Lord. They go together. It's folly for those who do not believe. How can you simultaneously grieve and rejoice? This can only be understood in the light of the cross. Grieving and yet rejoicing. Well, beloved, do you experience that heartfelt sorrow because of your sins? So that you really hate and abhor those sins? Consider well what you say. For to hate sin is not easy. To do that you need to be fully conscious of what it is. And thus you need the admonitions of scripture. But let's be honest. Who likes admonitions? Admonitions usually don't appeal to us, do they? To hate sin means that I can't stand it any longer. I detest it. I'm disgusted with it. I want to banish it out of my life. Stay far away from it. Do you hate sin in such a way? All the sins in your life? And do you at the same time experience that heartfelt joy in God through Christ? A joy knowing that your sins are forgiven in Christ. With as a result a love and delight to live according to the will of God. Beloved, both elements are present that the fruits of conversion will appear. Third point. True conversion is known by its fruit. In Matthew 3, John the Baptist says, Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Show through your attitude and behaviour that you truly regret Feel remorse over your sin. Demonstrate that you've turned away from your sinful thinking and life and that you truly want to live according to the will of God. With true repentance, it's impossible to remain as you were. Repentance indicates a change. Your thinking and behaviour We'll start focusing on God and not just on yourself. You will do things out of love for God and your neighbour. In the parallel passage of Luke 3, verse 10 to 14, John makes this concrete for daily life. Everyone is called to fulfil the service of love in his daily position and relationships. The tax collector and the soldiers don't have to give up their job. Christ doesn't call us out of the world. But true repentance is something that shows up in your daily life and work. 
Christ doesn't demand anything exceptional. All he asks is love for him and your neighbour in your concrete situation of life, in the relationships where you work and function. You do your daily work differently. You run your business differently. You run your household differently. You do things out of faith. According to God's law of love. To God's glory. Beloved John also gives a serious warning. He says, Do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. Do not think you are safe because you belong to the covenant people. Vital is that you share in the faith of Abraham. Then you will also share in the salvation promised to Abraham. John continues, Matthew 3 verse 10. The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The judgment is near for those who give no evidence of repentance. A most serious message also for us as church people. If you do not repent, if you do not bear fruits in keeping with repentance, then Christ will one day throw you out into everlasting fire. Therefore, listen to the serious message of the Lord via John the Baptist. Act upon it, promptly and sincerely, for today is still a time of grace. And brothers and sisters, this word is preached to you for your salvation, for your good. Accept it in faith. Turn to God away from sin every day again. In your daily practice and walk of life, at school, at work, at home, in society, in all your relationships, there are still things that must be laid aside because they don't belong to a life with God. That's what Paul writes in Colossians 3, verse 8 and 9. But now you also. Put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. At the same time, things have to be put on again. And again, as Paul writes in the verses 12 to 17, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, 
humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, and forgiving each other, just as the Lord forgave you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Yes, this is our daily duty. Also our daily struggle. Yet when you entrust yourself to God's grace and spirit, you will also experience victory. You will discover God at work in you, renewing you in his image, into righteousness and holiness, so that you will ultimately become like he is, your creator and redeemer. Amen. In our prayer, we also want to pray for Brother Barry the Rota, who was admitted to hospital with heart irregularities earlier this week. Let us pray. Gracious God and Father, we praise you for the many miracles of faith and repentance. Grant that each one of us may recognize that miracle in ourselves, may recognize your work of renewal, regeneration. We can never praise you enough for that miracle of grace. Grant that we all consciously may respond to your call to repentance. That we every day again turn away from sin and turn to you again. Free us from all complacency or smugness that there may be among your covenant people. The idea that everything is okay because we belong to your church. Help us to continue to lay aside the works of the flesh and to put on the fruit of the Spirit. Adorn us with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. May the word of Christ richly dwell within us. And grant that whatever we do, in word or deed, that it may be done in the name of our Lord Jesus, to your glory. And Father, we wish to pray for Barry the Rota, who has been admitted to hospital this past week. And Father, we pray that the doctors may get the problem under control, that he may recover 
and be discharged later in this week. Father, we know that in sickness we're in your hands. Will you bless all the tests and treatment and grant restoration of health? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.